The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Funding for the Capital Weekly Podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Uh, greetings and welcome to the Capital Weekly Podcast. I'm John Howard. I'm joined by Tim Foster. Hello. And our guest today is Barbara O'Connor, longtime professor at Sac State in Communications, uh, also former member or current member of the Art Board. Uh, we want to talk about the digital divide today, but you've done so many other things, Barbara. We thought we ought to mention some of those <laughs> other things, too. So This means I'm old, John. That's all it means. I thought, too... Uh, uh, I did not know that you were there at the birthing of uh, California Public of KXPR in Sacramento. Yes, and I founded it, and I, I, that was in my academic uh, period when uh, my former boss Frank Mankiewicz was president of NPR, and so he called me up when I was department chair one day and said, "Figure out how to put a public radio station in Sacramento. You're unserved." So I did, <laughs> and that's how it was born. Your connections never disappear. You always have them, so. You've done consulting for the media as well. I noticed one of them was the uh, Associated Press in Washington, the Washington, D.C. Bureau, uh, also NPR. But right. I was just on the AP Bureau, which is my old alma mater. Uh, I hope you got paid well, because our joke was... I didn't get paid at all. And oh, I was okay. one of five judges for two sets of presidential debates, and they picked debate coaches from around the country, and I had coached at USC, Georgetown in the summer, and was the debate coach at Sac State. Cool. Okay. Well, then I can't use my joke. You can't spell cheap without AP, so I'll just keep, uh, I'll just keep moving on. <laughs> they were cheap then. <laughs> um, Barbara, what I wanted to ask you today, uh, talk today about the, uh, what's, what's known as the digital divide, and that's something you've yeah. been familiar with for years. Um, and are working on right now, trying to resolve this, or at least get something going on this. What exactly is a digital divide, and what's, what is it right now? What's the latest on this right now? Well, it's kids doing homework on iPhones in various parking lots, and uh, people trying to get telemedicine appointments without having access to high-speed two-way broadband. And so why waste a good pandemic is my motto. And we have bills up, Cecilia Aguilar-Curry is carrying one for the California Emerging Technology Fund, which I chair, that would close the digital divide, would stitch together all of the various technologies around the state of California and hook them up to a fiber bed that Caltrans owns down the middle of the state and make sure that everybody is interconnected and not have separate networks, have one called the California Network, which we are promoting in their hearings on bills that pertain to it on Monday. Um, one of the things that's happening over there is that many pieces of legislation are getting sent to the boneyard because of the pandemic. Right. Um, yeah, the way they're meeting. I agree with you. Yeah, but so I'm just wondering. We're not one of them. But we're not asking for new money, and I think that will make a difference. I sent a note to the speaker saying, please support this, and we've done it to Holly uh, Mitchell, and she's talking to Tony, and hopefully because we're not asking for money out of the budget to do this, we're asking to enhance the California Advanced Services Fund and redefine universal service 
so that it is a way to sustain it without with bonding, basically, um, and forward funding. And that's what we're asking for. So who knows what we're going to get from Washington. Um, we can't really overbuild the areas that are already franchised around the state, but basically we have roughly a third of California that doesn't have high-speed access, nor do they have a device that would allow people to do telemedicine properly or tele-ed or work from home or do economic recovery. So we're meeting with Tom Steyer's task force on economic recovery, and we're briefing the legislature on why we're different. But we still, everybody wants their own network, of course. Tony Thurman wants one. Telehealth wants one. We can't afford it. It's like a Christmas tree. So we have gone in with what I think is a very reasonable proposal uh, to make sure that people are interconnected, because who knows how long this is going to go on. And part of it could be funded by the federal government or the state, but we're not hopeful that that will happen. Is, is this mostly a rural problem? It's not, actually. You know, with the, it was, and it, it was a rural problem, stitching together all the little communities. But we're saying it has to be by zip code. And they're roughly a third of California, not all of which is rural, some of which is suburban or inner city in Los Angeles, does not have access. And one thing that we promoted over the last 10 years at the Emerging Technology Fund are low-income offers by the cable company, the telephone company, now 5G, um, that allow people to sign on. And in many cases, the Department of Ed at the county level is trying to supply devices. And so we have in our portfolio what we call school to home, which is basically parents going in for training, getting a device, their kids using it at home, making sure they have high-speed access. And we now have 13 of them, one in Sacramento, uh, one in LA, one down in San Jose, one in Riverside County. So those would benefit and have provided a lot of research data on what works and what doesn't. And we're one of the few that goes to outside pollsters like uh, Field or the PPIC people. Uh, and every year we do a survey, which we pay for, that says, Are, do you have access? And sure enough, they don't. <laughs> so it's not just rural. How does it look at the, um, I mean, what happens at the end, uh, the receiver of the service? You Say you are able to get broadband service into a particular area, does the person who, or the home that has that service, do they log on to a local internet service provider? Do they log on to the state? Absolutely. I mean, and, and for instance, I happen to have eight, I have Comcast here, and we have four providers in Sierra Oaks and Sacramento. I've chosen Comcast, and I have high speed, and it works all the time, and I pay it as a part of my cable bill. It could just as easily be DISH. It could be a 5G provider, a wireless provider. But once they get a subscription to it, it's both down and up. So the speed for me returning my message is truly interactive. And that's what you need when you have multiple people working at home during COVID. You've got the parents doing their telework. You've got the kids doing their homework. You've got grandparents trying to deal with uh, 
other things uh, and it's you know it's it's painful because uh-huh. most people that are in that situation cannot um, do what they need to be doing and that's unfortunate really are the are the costs uh, covered I think one of the I know one of the issues has been as you've mentioned in um, inner city neighborhoods, lower income neighborhoods, there, there are two things going on. One is getting the technology to them and hooking that up. And then the second is being able to pay for it at their end. Is that, is there a subsidized subsidization? It's less of an issue because the providers have, we've asked the providers and really made it part of their deal for franchising to give low cost um, access to people who can't afford it. And, um, Ultimately, when we're making policy at the federal level again, uh, we would redefine universal service and lifeline to make it broadband. And that's going to require an FCC. California can do it, and we have the CPUC with uh, Commissioner Chavez uh, Guzman, who really wants to do it as California as a laboratory, which the Compact does allow for. And so we're working that as well. Um, but, you know, it's very difficult having a Republican administration dominant in D.C. and a Democratic de- governor and legislature here. And as I said, everybody doesn't agree. They want credit for it. They want their own network that they can control. Um, California has long invested in what we call Senec, which is a fiber bed. There have been state transfers of funds for the last 15 years to make sure that the schools are hooked up. And so many of them are on Senec. And that may be the vehicle that we would use going forward to take the advanced services fund money that we're asking for, either in a bond or in forward funding, the California Advanced Services Fund. Um, who knows? I mean, but it is constantly a battle. And it's a battle because um, everyone wants credit. Oh, sure. <laughs> and you know that as well as I do. So it's not a partisan battle necessarily in California, but it is uh, a Senate versus the Assembly. You got two or three bills in the Assembly. Tony Thurman wants his own in the State Department of Ed. Um, you got county health officers who are saying that doesn't work for us. So we're trying to do one network in California, the California network. And, and I said, why waste a good pandemic? And people cannot do schoolwork in the parking lot on an iPhone. It doesn't happen. You mentioned before you've done, um, you've done polling and uh, yep. for a bond. For example, in the case of a bond, do you have some notion where the public is on this? I think, well, we wouldn't do a general obligation bond. We would do a special bond and the legislature could pass it. Um, CETF.org is our website, and it's got all of the polling data from the last 12 years. And the directors are industry people as well as academics like me. I was one of the original directors appointed by Verizon. Um, And so it really is, I think, a good cross-section of both the geography of the state and the demography of the state. And for the directors to agree and lobby is an unusual experience because <laughs> many of them have their own points of view. And Sonny McPeak is our executive director, but you really can get a sense by going to the website, cetf.org, of what we've been doing and why for the last 12 years. And despite our efforts and a lot of money, and we match it four to one, 
uh, we still have gaping holes, and now's the time to close that. Where does, where does um, municipal wireless service fit into this? I, I don't hear much about it now, but over the last few years, there were cities that were installing or developing that, so no matter where you were within the city, you had Wi-Fi in some fashion. Is that still out there, or is it's no, it still exists. It exists in, it exists in Davis, for instance, um, in Sacramento and parts of the downtown. Mayor Steinberg is trying to deploy 5G, which is faster, of course. Um, but we have to make sure that it's fast both ways. Having Wi-Fi hotspots that kids can go to outside their school on a bus, which was one of the ideas the industry was pushing, um, works t- as long as you don't get too many of them. Uh, the cable architecture works as long as it's tree and branch. I don't want to get too complicated, but it doesn't work when a lot of people are on at the same time. And so what happens in a household during a pandemic is people, our parents are working from home and they need interactivity to do their work. Kids are schooling from home and you need telemedicine capability often. So one of the things that we've asked for is to make sure that every skilled nursing facility is hooked up because they're all over. And that would give us the closest thing to zip code coverage. Uh, In the Clinton era and the Gore era, the NTIA, the National Telecommunications and Information Agency did mapping and did anchor institutions. And the, the thought was then to make sure that libraries and state capitals and you know, all of the big anchor institutions, universities, State Department of Education here in Sacramento, were all hooked up. And then it would be easier to get it out to the people who lived around it. That is not always the case. I mean, I think the best way as a technologist, and my PhD is from the Annenberg School, the best way to do that is to make sure that everybody has it at home. And especially during times when everybody's working from home because they have to access it while in the middle of their day, typically. Do you think the, um, the private uh, issues and private debates over net neutrality, which has been a big issue for the last three or four years, right. um, you know, pieces of the telecommunications in- industry versus other pieces of the industry over two-tier pricing or three-tier pricing or... Right. No, I get you. And antitrust, if you paid any attention to the hearing yesterday, antitrust is another issue that we deal with. Well, are you able to resolve that? You know, and I I don't want to say this because it is antithetical to what I believe often, but I think at the moment the, the curse of everybody working simultaneously at home may outweigh privacy concerns, may outweigh tiered pricing concerns, if you look, it may outweigh antitrust at the moment, but I wouldn't want to let it last for very long uh, because I still think they're valuable and competition probably is the best model. But, you know, counties went ahead and either did their own municipal things like SMUD, and Davis did that, or they granted a franchise, in this case in Sacramento, to Comcast, so they're the dominant provider, and it's a cable architecture. And the goal of stitching it all together and hooking it up to a fiber bed that's owned by a governmental entity is not easy. I mean, it really isn't. What you need is engineers in a room who are not politically concerned, but are only technologically concerned. So you need almost a skunk works to do it. 
and I think that's important, and we have to make sure that happens too. Do you have a do you have any notion about pricing, uh, as far as you know, expanding it, to, say, to a, a inner city community or a low income area or a rural area? Would it cost a, the same as it does now? Would the cost be higher or lower? No, it would be cheaper because we, you and I, subsidize through taxes on our bill. Look at your bill. Uh, either telephone bill, your AT&T bill, or your cable bill, we have a tax structure in place to subsidize the disability community and the low-income community. And that would continue. Um, and the cost to people who have low-income determination um, would be much lower than I pay, for instance. Uh, so they would have access. You know, like you, I, I was on, I uh, just got off Comcast. I was on Comcast for years and years. And uh, I changed to AT&T Fiber Optic because they were offering it. I had one. It's faster. <laughs> it is faster. They finally it's got it in my here, neighborhood. So, you know, sure, West is an option here. Well, you know, neighborhoods, at least where we, I'm in south of Sacramento, about three miles, and Little Pocket is the name of the area I'm in. And a lot right. of people had been waiting for fiber optic there. It finally came in. And so I decided yeah. to take it, and truly, I don't know all that much. I don't see all that much difference with Comcast, except for one thing, the upload speed. It's really pretty amazing. And I can't imagine now uh, going back to dial-up. I know, where you sit and have coffee while you're waiting for to upload. Now, the problem is having it be as fast going back up. And, you know, when people are truly interactive, which you need to be if you're talking to your doctor or you're talking to uh, your workplace, you really need to be interactive. And if you're doing it all simultaneously, you'll need large capacity to do that. And that's the real test. And that's why I say you need engineers talking to each other so that we make sure that we inter we stitch them together properly. You can. I served on the FCC uh, Network Reliability Council in D.C. representing consumers during the Clinton administration when we um, deregulated the funk companies, basically. AT&T jettisoned the baby bells, and uh, we were trying to get them all to talk to one another. And it was largely engineers. There were the CEOs, but they didn't participate in that discussion. That was really about how do you do it physically, and I learned early on that one way to do that is to have engineers who are not political talking to each other because it's doable. They're all digital and you just need to figure out a way to do it uh, and then subsidize it. Do you think there's, uh, as you look ahead now uh, over the next year or so or whenever we get out of this pandemic situation, uh, what are yeah. we looking at? Are we going to see a better, more attention to the d digital divide? Well, we hope to, to do it while we're in the pandemic, which is why we're going after, after it now. There are bills being heard on Monday in both the Senate and the Assembly. And as I said, our bill is being carried by Cecilia Aguilar-Curry, who ran, it was from Winters, and ran one of the school-to-home programs, so she gets it. And then she's competing with a telehealth bill, which the senator is carrying, um, and she's competing with the Frontier uh, Foundation and others who want rich people to have lots of access but don't care as much about the poor, and that's me speaking. Um, I want everyone to have access, and I want to make sure that they are interconnected and that they have speed going up and down. 
because that will serve us well no matter what going forward. You know, you may change providers as you did, and I could switch to what was SureWest but is now consolidated and have faster speeds than I have with Comcast. I'd pay probably less initially. I mean, one thing that I've learned, and I didn't used to believe it, is that competition does drive down prices uh, for everyone. And so I think those that can afford it can make those choices, and those that can't need to be subsidized. Uh, Barbara, one last question. If the legislation uh, that you support, uh, or anybody supports, gets out, do you have some notion where the governor is on this? Is he receptive? Well, he's listening to Tom Steyer. I do, actually. He's listening to Tom Steyer and the Economic Recovery Task Force. And one thing about teaching for 40 years at Sac State is I have a lot of students, and they're all over the Capitol. So I hear the latest on who's doing what to whom and who's supporting what bill. Uh, We are talking to Steyer's group, and my understanding is, and this is from people that I've taught, that he's supporting our position, and that means the governor would as well. But it's a hot political issue because what we call the ISPs, the Internet Service Providers, all the ones that we've talked about, have different positions and they meet you know, with individual legislators in their district. And as I said, people want credit. So I'm hopeful that on Wednesday I see Tom Steyer and Anthony Rendon and Tony Uh, together saying we have a digital divide bill, and here it is. It's called the California Network. Fair enough. Barbara O'Connor, thank you so much for chatting with us today. You are more than welcome. Tim Foster, thank you very much. Sure. And this is John Howard saying goodbye, and we'll see you next time around.